this is Dominic Gordon of Twin Meadows Times. And today we're going to be here with Jed Limke of Reform Fargo and Kieran Downtree of the End FPTP subreddit. How are you guys tonight? Doing all right. Doing pretty good. So, uh, Jed, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm a. I don't know. I, I'm a. <laughs> great sounds. Um, so I'm a, I'm a software engineer and a mathematician who lives in Fargo, and I formed Reform Fargo in order to um, switch us over to approval voting, locally. So, Kieran, you were on the last podcast, but could you remind viewers of your background? So, um, yeah, name's Kieran Doherty. I'm a computational linguist, software developer type person, um, and I'm a member of the organization and counted in Washington State trying to get score voting uh, uh, approved. You know, what I'm finding kind of crazy. The more people I talk about this in the voting reform movement, is just how much of them have a love for math, like work in a mathematics-based field. <laughs> well, it makes a certain amount of sense, right? Because voting is basically a mathematical approach to um, to finding group consensus and coming up with a group decision. Yeah, absolutely. I think that. Um, a lot of us uh, as math nerds uh, try to optimize the systems that we encounter. And then, you know, when we're surrounded with such the horrible one that most municipalities and states have, it's hard not to want to try to fix it. You just have to scratch that itch. So I know you said you reformed Fargo. I mean, you formed Reform Fargo. How long ago was that? Can you give a little bit of a rundown of the history of the Reform Fargo movement for people that are unfamiliar? Uh -huh. Yeah, you bet. Um, so in, let's see here. We'll start at the very beginning. In 2015, we had a six-way special election uh, for a, one of our city commission seats. Um, as for a single seat, there's a six-way election, and the winner got about 22% um, support. And uh, barely beat out the second place finisher. And you can imagine how the rest of them stacked up after that. And the community murmured a little bit and said, well, someone with, you know, four out of five people voting against them maybe shouldn't be representing us, but this is the system we have. So they moved on. The following year, uh, we had a regular election. Uh, we elected two commissioners at once in an at-large two-winner election. And the winners there received about 30 percent of the vote um, each to win and then there's more grumbling and the commission itself vowed to get to the bottom of the problem so they formed a city governance and elections task force which uh, first started meeting in late 2016 i was one of the citizens that was appointed to it after lobbying one of the commissioners um, to join we met oh we met for a few months and then we presented all of our findings to the commission in early 2017. Uh, the commission, oh, excuse me, and our findings were um, to change to approval voting and to increase the size of the commission. Uh, the commission said that they would decide on this 
the following month whether they would refer these changes to the ballot or not because these types of changes would have to go and be approved by the people in order to be made. And the commission continued to say that they will get to it at their next meeting until December of that year. And finally said that they weren't going to give the public the opportunity to vote. So that um, caused a bit of an uproar in the community, at least for those paying attention to the city politics. And I decided, along with a handful of other people, that we were going to make sure that the public got to ballot, vote on it. Fortunately, in North Dakota, we have a ballot initiative process, and that trickles down to our cities. So we um, started collecting signatures in April of 2018. During our signature collection, there was another um, race for the commission, a nine-way race for two seats. And again, the winners got about 30%. Um, so uh, roughly seven out of 10 voters didn't vote for the first place finisher. Roughly seven out of 10 voters did vote for the second place finisher. And I think that just helped our momentum because we were able to gather the signatures we needed, put on the ballot, and then in November we voted on it and won with overwhelming support. Uh, it was a two to one margin, basically. So we're going to be the first city to do this starting in June of next year. Were there any challenges you guys faced, like any resistance to this change? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like, like I said, uh, the first off, the majority of the current commission wasn't interested in even allowing the public to make such a decision. So I would call that resistance. Um, and then when we did receive pushback uh, from you know, at least any type of organized pushback, of which there was little, but when it was there, it was entirely the uh, entirely from either political operatives, retired politicians, or incumbents, which frankly just continued to help bolster our argument that people who are currently in power feel that they are benefiting from the way it is and they don't want to see it change. And yeah, I'm not. <laughs> so that's where that kind of resistance came from uh, for us. As far as um, citizenry and the people on the ground um, who actually had to vote for this, uh, in general, they were very supportive of this idea and trying to switch to it. We were very, very upfront with everyone who not only signed our petition, but for every door that we knocked and voter that we talked to, that we would be the first city to try this in the United States. And they were more than willing to do that <laughs> as the results showed us at the election. So I'm kind of wondering, so I know our current system first past the post. And I think a yeah. lot of people ha like outside of the voting reform movement have been wondering what makes approval voting just so much better than first past the post. Um, so I think simplicity is an absolutely giant selling point. And that's one of the selling points that we were able to make to the public. So I'm assuming the vast majority of people out there who will be listening to this are not from North Dakota. But if you're familiar with the infrastructure here for voting, we have quite old equipment. Is that all going to come through on the recording or? What did you say? You kind of cut off for a second. 
Yeah, the it sounds like people are opening bags and like crumpling them or something repeatedly. Like it's that <laughs> really distracting. So um all I hear is this. I don't know where that's coming from, to be honest. Okay. I can hear it too though. Okay. Sorry. You were saying you had old voting machines. Uh, we do. Uh, we, have, we have very old ones. Um, they are so old, in fact, that they are, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're not capable of uh, many different election systems. Um, they can't tell you how many people in a multi-winner race voted for less than the, or, you know, okay, so let's say that we have a race where uh, you could vote for up to three people. Um, they can tell you how many people voted for three, or they can tell you how many people voted for less than three, but they can't tell you how many people voted for two or how many people voted for one, for example. Um, so that's just to give you an idea, like if, you, if you're familiar with different voting systems, like that type of information would be necessary to do certain reforms. So the fact that approval voting is simple and fully compatible with our existing equipment is a huge selling point. Plus, as we would tell um, people that we encountered when we were door knocking and, and talking about this on the street, you use this all the time when you're making decisions, when you're making group decisions. It's highly unlikely that if you're with uh, you know nine other people and the 10 of you are making a decision on where to go eat, that you're all going to say, all right, everyone, there are 50 restaurants in town. Now let's rank them all from f- first place to 50th. And we will, you know, figure out, you know, <laughs> we'll do, you know, uh, instant runoff on these things. In all likelihood, you'll say, well, raise your hand if you like this one. Raise your hand if you like that one. Let you raise your hand more than one time and we can figure out where to go. Um, it's just a common way of making decisions. It's a very natural way to do it. It's just most people don't realize that someone coined a term to describe that way of uh, voting and that that term could be used. That type of voting could be used for elections as well many people just take for granted that oh this is just how we vote first past the post not knowing what it's called but you know oh i just go pick one person and that's it and that's the only way to make a decision but uh, we really tried to stress there are lots of ways to make group decisions and this would be a better one so approval voting simplicity is absolutely important to us Uh, it was a low barrier to entry change if people don't want to approval vote If they still just want to vote for one or two candidates in these commission races, they can still do that. No harm, no foul. And uh, we don't have to invest in costly infrastructure to do it. And it just, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. You know, I don't know if uh, score voting would probably would take a little bit more infrastructure, but it's still another simple way of doing that. I know Kieran's a big fan of score voting. That's kind of why I actually brought him over here. So Kieran, can you give a little rundown about score voting? Um, So, yeah. So, Uh, As Jed mentioned, the approval voting is very simple. It's very much like our current voting method, except instead of uh, mark one candidate, it's mark one or more. An incredibly simple and great improvement. Um, Score voting is uh, very similar to that. It's they're they're very related systems, um, except instead of instead of doing mark a candidate you would score a candidate very much like if you were giving them a grade or if you were taking a survey on them, strongly approve, strongly disapprove, somewhere in the middle, something like that. Um, 
they both the, behind the scenes score voting and approval voting are basically the same thing. But as Jed mentioned, the major advantage to approval voting for a lot of different um, for a lot of different jurisdictions is that if you have older voting machines, then yes, you're not going to be able to do a zero to five scale, a zero to 10 scale, anything like that. But they will know how to say yes or no in a whole bunch of bins. So I, I very much, I, I understand completely why they suggested approval voting because in, in software terms, it's flipping a bit. They don't yeah. have, you no longer have, to, instead of having a, okay, this person, this person voted for more than one candidate, let's throw their ballot out. You just keep that in because um, they did express a meaningful intent. Um, uh, in the second congressional district here in Washington, we had a race that was close enough to, um, to go to recount in our primary. And I got to see at, at the recount, a number of ballots where you had people who marked all of the Republicans or all of the Democrats or anybody who wasn't a Republican or anybody who wasn't a Democrat. And while it's easy to say, okay, they didn't follow the rules and yes, they didn't follow the rules. So you throw the ballots out, but you can tell that that, that voter had a specific intent. And there's a question from a philosophical perspective should that person who expressed a cogent and reasonable intent have their ballot thrown out because nobody thought to ask why it had to be thrown out? You know, that's an interesting question. Uh, I remember Virginia had a similar problem where they like scratch, where this guy tried to scratch out a name after he filled it in. But like, you know, the ancient Greeks, they allowed profanity. They allowed anything that was clear on a ballot, which was actually rocks for some reason. And they would put, and you could say any, you could just, you can list any name you wanted. These are mainly for ostracizing people, but you had to make it clear, but you could put any other extra word you wanted on it. Yeah. And, and to be clear, like I, I really like score voting as well. I mean, approval is just a subset of what score can do. And it's just when we were deliberating, um, over what uh, to recommend um, when I was on the task force uh, score voting there was just you know there was concern from some of the other members about it being you know making the ballots a little more complicated um, for people which was also a concern that they expressed when we talked about possibly switching to IRB which would obviously require equipment upgrades for us but that was on the table certainly um, and there's just uh, people get really um, cagey uh, when you say, oh, we're going to change the whole ballot around or something like that. And so we, we wanted a low impact change as far as the design of the ballot went. And, uh, and since that's what the task force in particular recommended, we felt that we could make a stronger and better case to the public um, that this was a thing, approval voting, uh, was what the commission's own task force recommended yet the commission turned down. So we're just trying to make sure the public gets to vote on the specific thing that's already been through um, study locally by local officials and, um, you know, uh, and properly members vetted. of the public. Yeah. And, and vetted. Yes. That, that's the word. That's the right word for sure. Yeah. 
where yeah we would have come in and said well they didn't want that so we you know we're going to switch to you know some system that we didn't even discuss you know we're going to do condorcet and we're going to have a really long ballot now for all of our big races you know like that wasn't going to work so we went with what already had momentum behind it and the fact that it does my next question (laughs) (sighs) i do like the fact that it does work with what is already extant the 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 current infrastructure that's already set up is something that that is one of the definite advantages that approval always has is that any voting method any voting machine that can recognize overvotes is also capable of recognizing and tabulating approval voting with just a slight software upgrade yeah and I'm like, and when I went back and forth with the, um, like, not back and forth in a mean spirited way, but back and forth cooperatively with the, um, the uh, county auditor, the city auditor, and the uh, Secretary of State's office for North Dakota. And we talked about these things extensively. And they were never quite sure, well, will our equipment support this? And the county auditor confirmed it um, with uh, the programmers that they have to check to make sure uh, approval voting was 100% compatible with their system. I feel like score voting probably would have been, but it's one of those things that, yeah, we just weren't ready to answer that. So, or they weren't anyway. <laughs> it's That is actually a question that I've got from... Um that I got from the local auditors in my jurisdiction as well. One of their concerns is, will our hardware do this? Will our software do this? And approval voting is almost almost unequivocally a yes, Um, but score is slightly more complicated. Yes. And that's also why, um, like I'm sure people who study electoral systems are thinking, well, gosh, Fargo elects two people at a time to this commission. So they should obviously be using a proportional method. I agree. Absolutely agree. 100% agree. I want a proportional method. Absolutely. I also want the commission to be larger. I want us to elect more people at a time so that proportionality with relation to the populace can be better reflected. But... We don't have equipment that supports that. But we had wind in our sails to get a better system. And also, um, we don't have a city council. We have a city commission. They're slightly different. Uh, The role of our commission is as an executive body, not really as a legislative one. So while it does stink that we um, still will continue to not have a proportional outcome of these elections, we, we will argue and contend at least to a point that the fact that it's an executive body makes it okay. And that since we're electing two people at a time anyway, because we still want to make sure that, you know, the, the um, majority of the population is, has a chance at being reflected in this instead of having vote splits cause them not to causing them not to be. So. Hey, Karen might know this a little bit better, but didn't Oregon try to adopt star voting? And I think it kind of failed, I think for the reasons you were just kind of mentioning. I, I know Oregon did try. 
Um, it was, uh, wasn't it the county that Portland's in? Is that the one that they were in? I'm trying I to think it was. Yeah. So now I type it in and look. Uh, trying to remember where they were. Do, 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 do. Hello? Can you hear me? Lane County, Oregon. Yeah. So now we can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. Um, yes, it's Lane County, Oregon, which is primarily Eugene. Uh, um, they, they do, they did go, they lost by, I want to say five to 10 points, something like that. It looks even tighter than that. It, um, what I'm seeing is 48% voted for it. So yeah, forty. so it was really close, honestly. But so. part of the, part of the problem that they ran into is that it was a lot more complicated, um, where, st- where approval voting is just mark one or more and score voting is score um rate all the candidates that you choose to rate star added a runoff step which was which does have its benefits um i'm not completely sold on it i think it might cause more problems than it solves um but yes they did try they did a pretty good job um in eugene proper but they weren't able to get the entire county on board. So what do you guys think about some of the simpler proportional systems like ACID? I, I know, Kieran, I know you have an opinion about ACID because I know you talked at length about why you dislike it. But No. There are a number of different... Um, oh, goodness. What proportional systems do you want? Because there are... Goodness, I can't even count. I know of at least eight that use approval ballots as a basis. Um, <laughs> the I, only proportional system that I can describe uh, off the top of my head for approval would be sequential proportional approval. So, and it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> sequential proportional approval is one of them. With, that actually is an offshoot of um, a derivation of the Jefferson method that we originally used for um, for the first congressional apportionments after the first census. Um, it's a pretty decent method. It gets kind of wonky in party list or cloning scenarios, uh, cloning scenarios where you have two candidates that are functionally identical. Um, mm-hmm. It can go. It can go strangely in that case, particularly when you have lots of different uh, groups of voters who have different opinions. But it is generally a pretty good, um, a pretty good method. The sequential proportional approval voting was actually used in Sweden for uh, a decade or two in the early twentieth century. Yes, yes, it was. And then I'm trying to remember what did they change to after they stopped using it because. I don't. Sweden, I, I, I think, uses party list. The first past the post or anything. No, I think that I think they went to to single mark party list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like something like that, and that was one of the things that would come up. You know, the most organized opposition we had uh, was from a local political science professor at one of our um, multiple universities that's here. And he and I get along really well. Uh, we're actually friends um, outside of all of this stuff, <laughs> but. Um, we had some, you know, uh, he would be brought into debate against me um, or against our issue uh, on the radio and a few places. And one of the things he 
frequently brought up was that there were all these institutions that had used approval and then dropped it. And in the vast majority, I think all but one of them, I can't remember which one it was, they didn't drop approval in order to move to first past the post. You know, they, they dropped approval to because, you know, they either had some sort of governmental revolution or, you know, you know beyond their control, or they lost approval because they went to some sort of, like you said, like a party list voting thing or a proportional system of some sort instead. And, and that was one of the, so they would, he would try to use the argument that, well, people had approval and they got rid of it. And it's like, well, they certainly didn't get rid of it in order to go to the crappy system we currently have. You know, they did do something else. And, um, and that swayed, I think, a lot of people too when they'd hear that and they'd realize, oh, wait, they didn't just go back to this American crazy system that we seem to have at this point. Well, British, I guess, but, you know, which is actually, something bad. Which is actually something that um, concerns me about some of the other, uh, other experiments that have been run. Um, I'm not aware of a method, a, um, any locality that went from approval back to single mark, a single mark, uh, oh, a, a first past the post plurality winner, single mark plurality winner system. Um, but I do know of a few jurisdictions, um, British Columbia, uh, uh, Burlington, Vermont, et cetera, that yeah. have gone to a ranked method and then reverted back to um, reverted back to single mark plurality winner first past the post um to be fair in british columbia the people who decided to do that were the um were the uh socreds the social credit party and the oh the the conservative or something i know there was like right wing yeah they were the the social credit party were an also ran party until they ran until they did an instant runoff election two years in a row then they were the true majority government and the centrist coalition went from being a dominant coalition to having virtually no seats um them and the so it was the extreme right and the and the extreme left the communists um uh they cooperative a community cooperative federation or something like democratic party they're not communist they're democratic socialists Yes, the, uh, the the forerunners for the NDP. Yes, um, <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's just so ironic um, that uh, Democratic Socialists came out against it. There, uh, we were um, against reform. That is, um, our campaign. We were um, when we were attacked by the incumbents in, in our government. Uh, the incumbents that would attack us. Uh, they constantly said that we were all socialists who are trying to take over our local government and that only socialists would win under this system which is you know patently absurd that's obviously the voters agreed with that but (laughs) admittedly our local dsa democratic socialists of america chapter was very much in favor of this and many of their members uh door knocked for us i I will fully admit that we've been very clear about that since the beginning but we also had republicans and libertarians knocking doors for us too. <laughs> so, and part of the reason that the minor parties would do that is that to go back to Dominic's question towards the beginning of the of the podcast, he asked what the problem is with first past the post and why approval is better. 
um, part of the problem with uh, with uh, first past the post is that you're subject to vote splitting. If you are a libertarian, a socialist, a constitution party, a new Whig, whatever, if you're anything other than the big two, you can't, under first past the post, vote your conscience and have a say between the two big candidates who are going to, one of whom is going to win. You have to choose between those. Approval voting gets rid of that, which means that all of a sudden, there's no reason not to vote for the socialist if you believe the socialist has the best ideas. There's no reason not to vote for the libertarian if you believe the libertarian has the best ideas. That's one of the major advantages to score voting and, and approval voting. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And, and to be clear, with our um, local commission races, they're, they're nonpartisan, technically. So there aren't any R's, D's, or L's or anything uh, behind any names on that portion of our ballot. Um, that being said, undoubtedly, there uh, are partisan uh, machines um, that, you know, crank up at least a little bit for our local elections uh, to help, you know, different candidates here and there. And the, the very, one of the frustrating things was that one of our incumbents is a um, quite outspoken libertarian. And he was very much against this switch um, to approval voting. And um, his uh, diehard supporters, which I encountered while door knocking, also were against it um, because he had made the argument that, well, I won uh, because of the vote split, basically, of other candidates. And they felt that that was the only way that they could continue to get people with their viewpoints in. And I think. I mean, it was a f tough thing to argue with um, with them in, in those cases and say, well, I think that, you know, the majority of people should have a majority of the seats in the government. And, but, I don't know. It's been weird. That is one of the disadvantages to um, at-large non-proportional systems is that yeah. it, unless unless you happen to get a lucky break in the vote splitting. Yeah. 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 You're, you're just not going to make it in. And that particular candidate, uh, Tony Gehrig is his name. He, um, he had run several times before that as well um, in previous elections and hadn't really done well at all. So I think that he, he worked his tail off for that special election and actually, you know, knock enough doors to get in um, winning by about uh, couple hundred votes i think overall in that special election and then you know then he had the power of being an incumbent and uh when he was re-elected just uh, last year but yeah his supporters were definitely against this change overwhelmingly not all of them but overwhelmingly but that's part of why when we even put the ballot initiative together uh we uh are required to get sponsors local electors to sponsor the initiative and we had sponsors that uh were let's see we had a member of the national political committee for the dsa as one of our sponsors he happens to be a local we had a prominent local a lo prominent local democrat we had a prominent local think tank uh founder who's nonpartisan with her think tank we had a ex uh, republican candidate for legislature and we had our perennial libertarian candidate for north dakota governor were all of our sponsors because 
and we got them on board because they saw the value in this. And then we were able to illustrate to the public that, look, we have, you know, we have socialists and libertarians, Republicans and Democrats, cats and dogs, all sponsoring this thing. And because they agree that it's a better system for us to move forward. And that helped us to convince hearts and minds out there, too. Yeah, when I look at it, I think one of the hardest things to do in trying to get reform through is that there's people that are always winners out of any system, no matter how flawed it is, and trying to convince them to do the right thing over what's right for themselves. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the challenge of any type of reform. Absolutely. Yep. Um, And that's, I mean, how how do I put it? When I was on the task force and we recommended these things to the commission, and then the commission chose not to put them to the voters i was very disappointed i was also not particularly surprised um the commissioner who had appointed me to the task force did vote to advance both of these propositions to the public but aside from that the other ones didn't and it felt weirdly self-serving and like from their perspective from the incumbent's perspective they're just protecting their own seats uh they, you know, their biggest argument seemed to be, well, no one else has done this before, so that's why we shouldn't do it. But that also fell apart in the face of all the other things that Fargo has done that other municipalities haven't done in the past. So we can try something new. And it, this actually goes back to one of the things that um, CGP Gray said in one of his videos on YouTube, um, where the question the the major opposition to something like approval voting isn't so much in favor of that 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 there's a problem with the voting system or that it isn't an improvement it's that uh how did he put it you're not so much in favor of democracy as you are in favor of dictatorship light um where it is a, a big question one of the major problems with getting a lot of um a lot of uh, elected officials on board with this is their concern because the system from their perspective works. They're representing people and they're doing a good job of it as far as they can tell. And mm-hmm. yeah. they're worried that they won't be able to continue to do this good job for the people they're representing. If something changes too drastically. Yeah. And, and I can see that, you know, from an altruistic point of view, the, we have a system in place that says, if you win in this system, you should represent us. And since they're winning that rep- in that system, that must mean that they're the best fit for the electorate because that's what the system is supposed to do. Uh, that, that's the point of voting. And so, yeah, absolutely agree. Like that's how they see it um, altruistically for sure. The cynical side of me says, you know, they're all twirling their mustaches and saying that I mean, they'll never get rid of us if we don't allow them to change the system. But, you know, I think I think they're more altruistic than cynical. Uh, my my uh, I have a, a AP Gov. My teacher always talks about. I've talked about uh, how uh, that this will never happen in your lifetime. It's kind of crazy that it is. Well, to be <laughs> fair, this sort of this sort of change on a on a broad level is something that does only come up one once every two generations or so, once every generation or two um i think 
the last time there was a major push for electoral reform was that I, that I can recall in the United States, at least was sometime back around world war two. Um, which I think is when, uh, what is it? Cambridge, Cambridge, Massachusetts went to a single transferable vote for their, uh, city council. I think it was. Oh, Cambridge. Cambridge has single transferable, but I don't know when they adopted it, but they do. There was, I seem to recall that the last time there was a major push where, where changing the voting system was a large, widespread phenomenon that people were concerned about was sometime towards the end of the progressive era, um, early uh, interwar period, and slightly after World War II was the last time there was a big push. So yeah, you're your government professor's right. It's not something that statistically speaking is going to happen in your lifetime, but there is enough motion. There is enough pressure right now. I think that we are going to see more things. We've seen the change in Maine. We've seen this adoption in Fargo. I think it, I think now is the time that it's going to happen. But we have to make it happen. Yes. Is the biggest thing, you know, like we, there's, I, I encounter so many on this thing. Like I'm not a political person. I, I was just a, a mathematician and engineer who was, you know, angry that we didn't, you know, that we can't seem to fix this. So I said, oh, well, I'll try and fix it. But I met a lot of, you know, politicians throughout this process, as you would expect to, um, you know, uh, you know, knocking doors, going to events, trying to figure out who to talk to, to help, you know, form the ballot committee and all that kind of stuff. And, there is just, even some of the politicians, like they, they're just, they're, they're so used to not being able to get a change through that they just kind of rest back. Or you have other ones who just are the fortunate benefit or fortunate beneficiaries of movements that have swept through. And there's not this understanding necessarily of how much work it is to do it. And things can be done if you're willing to, actually get up and knock a door for these things they can be done but we gotta actually make it happen because the change isn't going to happen unless we do it ourselves and you want to be you know the architects of this change otherwise you're going to get changes that you don't like so we gotta do it do you think part of like these changes kind of happen when there's just not really any way to deny it anymore i feel like when it comes to uh like i don't know i've been looking at things like climate change and uh uh, some of the conflicts, and I know, I know Ethiopia. They just recently started pushing towards democracy in a way which they had done for years. I feel like part of it, though, is when there's just nowhere more time to deny it. Uh, it's just kind of harder for politicians to try to go back to their familiar places and try to talk about how things can't be tried. Another factor might be uh, re- related to that, very much related to that, is that when something definitely feels wrong. I don't know that it's necessarily, um, I don't know that the voting system, that the thing to be changed might not necessarily have anything to do with 